for checking out Free Chapel Young Adults. We're so excited to share this conversation with you from our last third Wednesday gathering. We'd love to help you get more connected at FCYA here in Orange County. For more information, just follow us on Instagram or text FCOCYA to 510-510. We hope that you enjoy this episode, but be sure to join us next month for FCYA third Wednesday. We'll see you soon. Sorry, I missed my cue. Welcome, everybody. John. Pastor Sean, always so extroverted. Great to see you all tonight. Welcome to Third Wednesday. So one quick thing I want to make mention of before we kick off tonight is that I've got one of my best friends in the world sharing with us tonight, Pastor Jake Fuquay. And it's not just a special guest. This really is like a family night. So I'm excited about what's going to be shared here, but uh, did want to say um, welcome, everybody. Just as we set this up, um, it's always really my favorite night of the month to gather here together, um, not just as family, but I always believe that the conversations that happen here in this place are so significant. And kind of what God does, we've outlined these nights each month as young adults to really unpack life and faith and what it means to follow Jesus in 2021 and uh, kind of have some conversations central to our walks with Jesus, um, really no matter where you're at on the faith journey, we're glad that you're here. Um, but tonight really is an inside look on what it means to be a Christian in 2021 and have some conversations that maybe we wouldn't get a chance to have on a Sunday. And so tonight we're going to be unpacking, um, we've been in this series that we're calling For Your Health. And the whole collection of conversations really in season three has been um, about four months long, taking a look at one of Jesus's own commands um, in, in Mark chapter 12. And maybe we just read that here tonight as we set this up. Um, Jesus was approached by a group of people and was asked kind of, what do you want? What is it that you're looking for? Uh, maybe if you've had that question here tonight, you've wondered, what does God want from me? I know I've had that question uh, for so many years in my own journey. What does God want from me? And luckily, Jesus answers that question. And here in Mark chapter 12, he says this, you shall love the Lord with all Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And uh, I think it's an important picture that Jesus gives to us that when we approach Jesus, we're to show up as our whole self. And I love that idea that we bring all of who we are to, to a relationship with Jesus. And um, maybe you're here tonight, maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian, maybe you were invited by somebody, just are checking out what the faith journey really is. I think tonight is the perfect night for you to be here. Um, but we're gonna spend the next couple moments unpacking really this, this passage of scripture and, and focusing on one word, which is that word soul. Last month, we talked about uh, how to be healthy in your heart. And uh, we talked about some emotionally healthy habits, talked about spiritual disciplines. Next month, we've got the great opportunity to um, kind of brave the conversation about mental health. And we're going to be talking about how to love God with your mind. And uh, we've inv invited, just to make special mention, um, Kayla Stecklin is going to be with us, who, if you're unfamiliar, um, her, her husband had died by suicide a number of years ago and just has a powerful story of kind of journeying that as a Christian woman. She's going to be sharing with us uh, next month, talking about mental health. But tonight, I want to focus in on soul. And uh, maybe just to get us started, Pastor Jake, um, one of the things I think I've just observed about you in, in a number of different years in friendship is um, really the last, I don't know, 12, 18 months, I've actually seen a change in you. And I've seen you dive deeper into study, dive deeper into spiritual formation and discipleship. 
And maybe just by way of introduction into this whole um, abyss that we call the soul, can you tell us a little bit about that process and maybe the shift that's happened in your own relationship? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in church, um, and my dad is a bit of a like a discipleship guru, if you won't, like, or if you will, like, so he's, I've always kind of grown up with this idea of discipleship. Um, I remember being in high school and partying and doing whatever I wanted to do. My dad's like trying to take me through this discipleship book. He's like, I got to take you through this. I'm like, I don't want to go through that. And he's like, no, people around the world would want me to take them through this. And I said, go to them because I don't want it, right? Like, so I was kind of that type of person. And I think- Typical pastors too. Yeah, yeah. I know. Forgive us if we've offended you, okay? Soul health, most of them come from pastor's kids to other people in the church. Um, no, but I, I, this last year, I started some, doing something every January um, called the 30-Day Shred. It's, I will be my fourth year, fifth year, uh, fourth or fifth year coming up this January. Um, I had a conversation with a pastor, and he said uh, something staggered me. He said, in the Jewish faith, 80% or so uh, keep their faith after they leave the house, but it was about 22% of Christians after they leave their parents' home keep their faith. And he says, studies show that it goes down to the daily, the weekly, the yearly routines and rhythms that they have in the Jewish tradition. Weekly they ha- or daily, they have dinner with family. Weekly, they have Shabbat. Uh, you know, then they have festivals that they all build momentum upon themselves. And so I asked the question to myself, what do I do daily, weekly, and yearly that is building momentum to where I'm actually it's growing good, yeah. in depth with Christ? So I started doing the shred a few years ago. And then from that, I started reading more, and I really felt this hunger, and God told me, he says, you need to, you, you need to go deeper. You're, you know, there's the height, the breadth, the width, the depth of God, and I think every mm-hmm. revelation that there's that. There's a height, there's a breadth, there's a depth, and there's a width, and I think oftentimes we settle for the width. Like We like the horizontal revelation of God's grace, he loves me, he forgives me, but we don't embrace the mysteries, as Paul would talk about in 1 Corinthians, of the certain sacred secrets that God wants to actually reveal the height of them and Mm. the depth and the width, that he wants to reveal things only by the Spirit and by those who are willing to steward them well. And so I took on that challenge in some ways, unfortunately, because you realize, oh my gosh, I'm kind of a jerk, (laughs) like, and the whole, but then he removes, like I was telling someone the other day, like playing basketball now, I used (laughs) to be the meanest person on the court. I'm not, as a pastor, I'll admit it to all of you. I used to, and like this year, like I got fouled hard and I was just like, hey bro, it's okay. I'm like, what has happened to me? (laughs) And like, it seems trivial, but I really feel like, oh man, God, you are really been transforming me. Yeah. Because I would have cussed that guy out probably. Wow. You know, you know, and you know, if that offends you, I'm sorry. I'm growing. It gets real on the court. Let's, yeah. But I, listen, like that's actually, I just want to affirm that in you, like, because we've been friends for a number of years now. And I really have seen that shift um, towards, I think there's a, a real a depth about you um, that is just, you know, you've always been um, a great studier of God's word and, and a phenomenal leader and pastor. But really the last season I've seen, I mean, my goodness, if you were here on Sunday morning, he was like a sage on stage, <laughs> just going through the Beatitudes like a boss. <laughs> and um, it's just been really cool to observe. And so um, maybe as we kind of unpack this, the soul is something that is often misunderstood. 
And I think as I was doing a little bit of studying for tonight, I was trying to think of like, how do you explain what the soul is? Because it's one of those things that's like, you kind of know it if you see it. You know, it's like, it's hard to maybe say, but if you know, you know. You know, the people that have like, they have soul, there's soul music, there's soul food, um, there's soul patches, God forbid. There are, um, but there's like, yeah, bring them back. Can you imagine if that was all we did when we left this next month? Everyone... Every man in this room, you need a soul patch <laughs> off this talk. Where we didn't, there was y'all no know win. what that is, right? Like, a yes, oh my. no, okay, you, know, you don't know what it is. Look, Google it. Yes, Google soul patch. The '90s are coming back, so you never know. Um, but there's there's all different. You know, we describe there's new souls, there's young souls, there's old souls, there's soul mates. Hello. There's a lot of different ways that we kind of throw this word around, but it's, it is a little bit difficult to pin down because I think especially in faith and spirituality, soul is one of those things that maybe we get mixed up with heart. Maybe we think like, you know, I've heard a lot of these different. So when it comes to soul, can you tell us maybe your perspective on it? I love what C.S. Lewis says, by the way. He says that you don't have a soul. You are a soul. Yeah. You have a body. Yeah. And so kind of the understanding that we are a soul, but taking that one step deeper, can you help us understand, first of all, what is our soul and how do we understand that? How do I identify it? And then how do we love God with our soul? Yeah, Dallas Willard, who I read a lot in, in the book Renovation of the Heart, which I suggest to all of you. Yeah, we may need to take a moment and get your top three book recommendations out of the way here tonight. <laughs> Current book, Live No Lies by John Mark Homer. Please read that. Um, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard is an easy go-to. And then Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. You can go, those are the easy top three. And if you want more, um, let me know. But the soul is defined by him as like the administrator of the body, right? So uh, of your life. So the spirit is what's transformed by God. But then the soul is what kind of like tells what's happening in the spirit to go to the rest of whether that's your emotions, your thinking, your, you know, even your impulses, your desires. And so if your administrator is disorganized or disoriented, then, then you have these uh, wrong things begin to happen in your life, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I'm trying yeah. to break it down in a very simplest, he, he's way smarter than I am, but it's the administrator of your life. Yeah. It organizes everything that's happened or disorganized around something. So if your soul is oriented around something other than God, even if you have this like strong desire to follow God, what begins to happen is it gets going in different directions that's not because it's disoriented. And you've got to reorient your soul. And, and we could break that down. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, and the way that I was always defined in, in Bible schools, the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. You can kind of break them down in that kind of three-part time. You guys talked about the emotions and and your will, you know, the decision maker, what, what makes your decisions, and then your thinking, your ideas. Like, what, what, what makes up your thinking? What makes up your worldview? Like, that's a part of your soul. That's a part of deceptive, you know, John Mark Homer and Live No Lies says, deceptive ideas give way to disordered desires, which then gives birth to a society that normalizes sin. One more time for the people in the back. Deceptive ideas give way to disordered desires, which then gives way to a society that normalizes sin. So good. And so your soul is kind of that space where deceptive ideas, I think, are maybe not formed. It's formed in your spirit usually, but it's actually, it takes root, if that makes sense. It kind yeah. of settles in your soul. It settles as the administrator of of your life. And mm-hmm. then if that's disoriented, then there's going to be directions that you may not even want to go. 
Yeah. And that's like Romans 7. You know, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. And oh, wretched man that I am. That's how half of us feel in our Christian walk, and we don't know why. Really good. And one of, one of the things that you, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts on it, because um, going back to that sort of direction, because you talk about there's a whole maybe group of people in whether it's society or even church that feel maybe at conflict a little bit with their soul and it gives way to maybe some normalization of things that we're kind of wondering. I mean, the way I've described it to people is there's been like a decade of change just in the last year alone. It's been like an incubator, the way that the world and people and kind of the general consensus of many things around faith and God have shifted just the last year. And uh, it kind of goes back to like the soul um, in the in the Hebrew language is the same word that's actually used for neck. Yeah, It's nefesh. And so if we were to ask you maybe tonight, if you point to your soul, many of us would point somewhere in our stomach region, which is an interesting thing maybe to say about our yeah. culture for one. Yeah. Um, but number two, the idea that the ancient Hebrews would think of the soul as somewhere in their neck that actually gives passage. And the idea is that the, your neck is the thing that actually connects your mind to your heart. It connects your, your head to the rest of your body. And so on a maybe a physiological sense, it's a passageway that acts for your whole body. But in a human sense or maybe in a philosophical sense, your soul is the passageway between your heart and your mind. Yeah. And so I'd love to get your thoughts maybe on um, kind of understanding the importance of that. And when we're challenged, Jesus tells us, love God with your soul. What's he actually saying? Yeah, I think he's... Character is who you are without even thinking. So to love God with your soul is to get to the place in your spiritual formation journey that you reflect the decisions that God would make without even thinking. Like that's the goal. You want to close, spiritual maturity is closing the gap between when God speaks and when you obey. And soul is kind of where that happens. Really good. Like souls where that, like closing the gap. And it's, it's death to self is, when you don't get what get your way, you're not surprised by it, you're not controlled by it, and you're no longer angry about it because your desire is to reflect God's will, not your mm-hmm. will. And um, we we sometimes invert some things in our Christian walk, like uh, Dallas Willard's great quote says, faith is not opposed to knowledge, it's opposed to sight. So sometimes we want to have faith and we think it's all heart. And if you grew up in the charismatic Pentecostal tradition as I did, that was what it was. Like, I actually think that we've kind of been mishandled. We've like, what does this scripture mean to you? <laughs> and so based on how it made me feel, I'm like, well, this is what it means to me. Yeah. But what's that leading with? It's leading with sometimes your heart is actually not the best leader. Mm-hmm. It's having a good understanding intellectually. Faith is not opposed to growing in your intellect and growing in your understanding, growing in this, this you know, and finding out not what does it mean to me, but what did the author mean by this? Yeah. And then once you gain that, guess what then begins to happen? A deeper revelation in your emotions, and they are connected by a healthy soul. They are connected by character. The kingdom of God is built on power, and character. It's, it's really, as we would, let's use modern language, the kingdom of God is a power structure. That's mm. why we hate them in the Western society, because there's authority in it. 
and only operates, though, you cannot operate in the power of God if you don't operate in the character of God. And then you also can't, so you cannot have the character of God without the power of God. Mm-hmm. So they work together. So the more that you operate in the character of God, guess what? You The more you see the power of God at work in your life, yeah. which is the ability to accomplish something. So you actually give God more ability to accomplish things in your life when you allow his character to be formed and developed in you. But that's where I would say the soul, yeah. like, is that connective space, is the, the mind, right? Your thinking, the will, your decision maker, and then your emotions, your heart, is what we talked about last month. And so yeah. it's kind of that decision maker, like, what leads your decisions? So good. What guides your decisions? Yeah, because there's people that maybe be on both ends of the spectrum and even at different seasons of life. I love the uh, sign that our team had put together just out the, the photo booth that says, show up as your whole self. Because that's what God is really asking from all of us, that we come as all of us. Like, God wants all of us. And it's yeah. not just that God, you know, reserves this, the heart side of me on a Sunday morning or just like my emotional side, but he wants every, like our heart, our soul, our mind, and our, uh, our, our, our strength, our body, our emotions. And so I think it's just easy it, in many times that people can live with maybe a sense of, of disordered desires. And, and it's easy to maybe detach your head or your uh, mind from the rest of your um, life. And you can live maybe chasing one emotional high to another when you're just living at maybe to bring it down a little bit, to say, follow your heart, right? That's one thing we always say. And you live that way, but your heart isn't the only leader that we have. Vice versa, if people live only from an intellectual place and maybe miss out on a lot of life because they're missing out on their heart, tend to overanalyze. They tend to, um, you know, kind of live with uh, um, just processing everything and missing out on really the joy. Um, So there's a trend going around on Instagram right now about the red flags, And uh, many of us have seen it. I'm curious to know, um, what are some red flags of the soul? Read the Sermon on the Mount, and that will really reveal red flags. It's like, oh, my God, I have a lot of them. But um, cynicism, bitterness, uh, anger, um, short-tempered. I would say restless as well. Like, you're just always, there's this illogical nature. I think when you when you talk about the heart, the funny thing is it's a lot of the times the heart is mentioned in the Bible. It's talking about guarding it, which kind of speaks yeah. to maybe its vulnerability. Sure. Like sometimes we like to lead with our heart. I am that way. If you know me in any way, shape or form, I will lead with my heart and probably ask for forgiveness later because <laughs> it's like, I'm so sorry. I probably shouldn't have said it that way. Um, but I think these are red flags. I think mm. that if you're always cynical and you're always... Uh, if you're always bit, if you're still bitter, um, if you're a victim, you know, and I know that like that's not popular, but it just is what it is. If yeah, we are sure. always looking to blame somebody else, um, and have the inability to take responsibility, that's a red flag, because what that means is you actually don't trust God with the vulnerability. Wow. That doesn't mean that if someone has done something to you that that's right, but. I'll quote C.S. Lewis in The Horse and His Boy, if that's okay, which is the Chronicles of Narnia, the third book. And um, Aslan, if you read the books, I mean, it's pretty theologically loaded. We get it. You read. Uh, No, but (laughs) it's good for you. (laughs) Aslan goes up to, there's these two kids, and they get separated, and... um, Aslan comes up to the boy Shasta, and Shasta immediately says, how's Erebus? 
And he says, I'm not here to tell you her story. I'm here to tell you yours. And then the same thing, he goes to Erebus. And Erebus, is, the first thing she says is, how's Shasta? He says, I'm not here to tell you his story. I'm here to tell you yours. Yeah. The lesson is from, the, from, from C.S. Lewis is this. Why is it oftentimes the first thing that we say when God approaches us with something that maybe we are convicted about, we try to shift blame or try to say, well, God, what about this? Wow. Or what about them? Or, you know, have you, have you seen the political climate of the day? I just can't. I, how can I be settled and have peace when the world is just in shambles? It's like, okay, we get it, but God is trying to tell you something about you. Yes. And an unhealthy soul likes to shift blame. So good. And, and we all have periods and times where our soul is unhealthy. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Because just like anything, like just like a diet, sometimes if you get off your diet, guess what? Your body can get less healthy. There is soul care. There, is, there are things sure. that we should do and should be doing that. And if we don't, as it talks about in Hebrews, I actually think you can drift away. And as you drift further and further from intimacy with God and you get consumed with other things, your soul becomes unhealthy. And, um, and then I also look at your friend group. Yeah. That's another good way to see if your soul's healthy or not. Like, like you become kind of who you surround yourself with. Everyone just looked at their neighbor. <laughs> Are you healthy? Um, I, like this good. generation, and, th- and I'm in it, our generation is the king and the epitome of the verse when Jesus says the blind leading the blind. Wow. We live in echo chambers of people, and I, and I do the same thing. We live in echo chambers with people who agree with us and, 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 and validate our pain mm-hmm. and validate our victimhood. And we have no one in life saying, hey, yeah, I get that, but you need to grow. You need to become really mature. Good. You need to, because that's a biblical relationship. So it's all blind leading the blind. We all talk to people who read Richard Rohr and do this. And it's like, well, you know, is it really like what this, what this means? And, and we just sure. surround ourselves with an echo chamber of yeah. discontent, of cynicism, of, of, and we don't have any logic. And we have no one to say, hey, bro, you're being an idiot. Hmm. That's, I, trust me, all of my friends are pastor's kids. Me and my brother are the only ones standing in our faith. In my group chat, you would be like, it's, I work at a church and you should hear the things they say about church. And I have to tell them, guys, I, you know, I work for a church and I don't believe anything you just said. Hmm. I, I, but I, I, I look at their life and I'm like, where, what's off here? And I can honestly say this, have people in your life that you don't agree with and have and not just on like the side of like bringing you in a net, but like people who maybe like can challenge you in your faith, challenge you in like who is challenging any of us? Hmm. Because we only listen to the YouTube messages that we agree with. John Mark Comer said this in, in an interview with John Tyson. One of the greatest idols of the church today yeah. is preference. Stylistic preference. Wow. So we only go to the places that stylistically we prefer. <laughs> like when Sean does this song, I'm all about it. But when he doesn't, like... <laughs> it's good, it's good. And Sean's amazing every Sunday. Yeah. Like if you don't... And like, like it's not like an oh thing. I'm just like we all do it. Like I tell Sean, I'm like, please keep your shoes on. Why? Because my preference is no barefoot worship. <laughs> it's my preference. It's my preference. But we, we, we surround ourselves stylistically with preferences, Okay. 
Like, so preachers who only preach what we like to hear as a preference or how they like, like the style, yeah, yeah, the style of how they preach, but we don't even question theology anymore. Oh, they made me laugh and cry. It was such a good message. God almighty, that, like I had to get off Instagram because it wasn't good for my soul because how many people would repost sermons that theologically were whack? Hmm. Like, hey, we just throw this out. Like, it doesn't matter. It's just this. It's just Jesus. Don't need doctrine. You don't need doctrine. What do you think the apostles died for? Are you hmm. freaking kidding me? Hmm. And to me, that's offensive. But it's stylistically, we would rather have someone make us feel good than actually challenge how we think and challenge what we believe. Now, I'm all for good preaching, please. For But, but some of the guys I listen to would probably put you to sleep. But they challenge me. Hmm. And, 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 and I don't want to just be caught. And that's the, the kind of the, the, every generation has like a danger. And I think the danger is that it's so easy to get caught in an echo chamber of preference. Yeah. Because it's, you can pick and choose what you listen to. Mm-hmm. Like we, we can go to 10 churches on one Sunday, like yet we don't grow spiritually. So we go online to everyone's church. Wow. We don't give, we don't serve, we have no accountability and we wonder why we're not growing. Like, I actually, like, anyone who tells me that the future of the church is online is not attached to reality. Because I would argue the actual opposite. Because what our generation needs, let me speak as someone who's a part of our generation, we don't need more messages. We need discipleship. We need people in our lives that can challenge the things. This is like Catholics get a bad rap, okay? You went to a Catholic (laughs) university. I, my dad grew up Catholic. Like I would, they get a bad rap because of maybe some things that happened 1,500 years. Like in the 1500s, it went really bad. Okay, and that's where Martin Luther came in. But in the beginning, this whole like saint worship. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. Like they they didn't worship the saints to begin with. What they did was they found people that followed Jesus so inspirationally. They said, "I want to follow after their life." As Paul says, "Follow me as I follow Christ." Yeah. So it wasn't like they worshiped them. They said they modeled, I want to model my life after someone who was a true disciple. And and I'm going to steal John Mark Homer again. He says, we don't need more celebrities. We need saints. So maybe we do need some people in our life that we can look to and say, you follow Jesus in a way that I want to do the same. Who's doing that? Hmm. Who's Who in our lives are we like, man, I really love how you love Jesus. I really love how you're growing and you're being formed into the image of God. Hebrews 13 talks about that. Hebrews 13 is the, the, the kind of the ending of a book that's talking about people that are drifting in their faith and drifting away because of persecution, because of hate, because of frustration. Mm-hmm. And he finishes it with talking about first Hebrews 13 verse seven says, look to these people of faith and model your life after them. And he's referencing what? Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. So he's saying, look at how they live their life and do it the same. Then Hebrews 13 verse 13 says, hey, leaders, it's your job to watch over their souls. And so make it joyful for your leaders. Yeah. Do we make it joyful for the leaders in our life to lead us? Because eternally, we actually have to watch over the souls, what we're talking about tonight, yeah. of the people that we lead. Mm-hmm. So I think there's two failures in the church today. It starts with leadership always. Number one, 
We as leaders have settled for good messages, including myself, rather than understanding the task of that we are here to watch over your soul. Like it's actually a part of our job to make sure your soul's healthy. Hmm. And so when we say, hey, are you okay? You seem a little bit off. Saw your Instagrams. You were ranting on some things that were kind of whack. You all right? Red flag. Like, and then red flag, right? Number two, it's your job to make sure that that job's easy on us. Because you can, it says do so where it's actually joyful for them to lead you. Yeah. And I can, I've been in, working at a church now eight years. I can tell you there are some people that are a joy to lead and there are some people that are not. <laughs> and like, I'm just going to be honest. Some of you, it's like, when you call me, I'm like, I don't want to pick up this phone call. Why? Because anything I say to you, you're just going to go to somebody else until you find someone who agrees with you. So let me go find a coffee shop and find one Christian friend that agrees with me that's sleeping with their boyfriend as well, and then I'm okay. Yeah. Sorry to go there. Probably we didn't, weren't talking about, like, sex today. Well, first of all, I think that just that answer alone, my goodness. Sorry I went so long. Phenomenal. But two, I do think that, like, one of the things that you touch on, maybe just to put a, a, a blanket statement over all of that, is I think... Sometimes the right word is a really hard word. And I think that many times in our culture, in our lives, especially in um, our journey with Jesus, it's easy to um, be looking for people that may, may affirm what we believe. But here's, I think, one of the dangers of that, maybe one of the red flags of the soul, is when we become our only authority. And I think what you're saying, a relationship with God and relationship with right people that are open to challenge, that are open to correct, that are open to help guide us. Because, I mean, whoever thought we were wise enough to do this alone? Like, that's a misnomer a little bit, to think that we are somehow, like, the way that I feel or the way that I think is, like, the standard. Like, I think what you're talking about is we're not willing to be wrong very much anymore. And I think we become so accustomed to um, living our life in a way that only reinforces the way that I think and the way that I feel. And the danger of it is it actually doesn't produce health or wisdom. Like we need what the scriptures say to point us, number one, to a relationship with God and then to a relationship with wise people. Like all throughout the scriptures, there are moments where it's a relationship with God or it's a relationship with people that help guide our souls into the health that we're talking about. And I I do want to say here tonight, like part of this, I hope you don't hear, we're not trying to condemn. We're not trying to like um, be playful with some things that may be tough to to navigate or, or tough to understand. I think just as your pastor here tonight, I want to help you to get healthy. I want us to live in a way that our souls are flourishing. Like the, the, the scriptures say that it goes well as it is in our soul, that our souls really get to a place of health. And so really the, the, the danger is if we're not ever letting anybody in to guide or to correct, I mean, so many times in my life, the, right, the thing that I needed to hear most was the thing I didn't want to hear. It was the thing that was so tough to hear. But man, that was the moment that God used his, his word and somebody else in my life to really bring me to a place that I even began to understand maybe how things have fallen out of line, how my desires have gotten out of order. And it's just too easy to spend time listening to only the voices that we want to hear. Like, can I just say one of the, the things about 
um, I'll just say for myself, it's it's so tough, I think, to be um, navigating young adults ministry and in my own marriage. And so many times we get to a place where, um, you know, you know, we're we're, we're talking about. Um, you know, we're kind of surrounding ourselves, like you talked about the echo chamber of voices that we're listening to. And yet we, 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 we have a generation of people that have no problem spending two hours on Netflix every night, but leave church early because it's too long. And it just recognizes, hey, this is a red flag in my heart. This is a red flag in my soul. This is a red flag in my life that I, I, I can't get to a place where I'm just like becoming the only, like it's just about my gratification. It's just about what I think. And so kind of in that line, I want to tackle something um, here tonight that really is, I think, on a lot of people's minds and a, a big journey for these young adult years that has really gained a lot of popularity the last year um, through some TikTok theologians. Um, I want to know about deconstruction. And if we could just go there for a few moments tonight, because the root of that to me is two things. Number one, it gets to a place where we talk about me being my only authority. And number two, um, let me just say something that really hurts my heart. I've never seen anybody deconstruct from a healthy place. It's always rooted in pain, wounds, that there's been a pastor or a leader or a family or a church or a tradition that has caused harm and harm has led us to a place of deconstruction. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. And, and like I said, I, I, I grew up in church and majority of my closest friends and even some family members are probably in the midst of that process. Um, I, I want to kind of clear the way that like when we say deconstruction, you, you got to like maybe decipher, like there's some things that it's okay. Like it's okay to question some things. Like there are some like mis like misinterpretations of the Bible are good to question. Um, but you have to have good enough theology to do that. Um, and so sometimes we take maybe mis eisegesis or misinterpretations of the Bible in the past. And we say, well, this is, this is church. It's like, well, actually it's probably not. Cause there's been a lot of really bad misinterpretations of the Bible, but then there's some really good ones. Um, but I would say, by the definition of the academia, you know, where you're you're deconstructing and you're basically removing all external authority is the key, and you become the culture becomes your worldview and it defines what is truth within yourself. Um, and I think that any like truth really is defined by this is what coincides with reality. So based off that definition, like I think a lot of us who we can see people say, "Well, I'm living my own truth." And if we were good friends, we'd say that doesn't really coincide with reality. So if it coincides with reality, the thing is this, wherever there's no accountability, there is no reality. So we want truth to be defined. We want reality to be defined by us, but we don't want to have accountability to tell us whether that's right or wrong and telling us what reality is. So what's the litmus test that you're building your truth off of? That's the only way you can find truth. Hmm. If you have nothing that you're anchoring to, guess what you're going to find? Nothing. And, and, and like, I hate the argument that Jesus was like, just some like really loved, like he loved everyone. Jesus fought for proper interpretation, probably more than anything. He says, you say the scriptures say this, but this is what the scriptures really mean. Yeah. Like, so if you're not fighting for that, uh, get on, get on the train. And Jesus was also the most logical person that ever walked the earth. My issue with deconstruction is that it's a path to nowhere. Yeah. Really, it's designed, if you go back to its inception, to question everything and to always question everything. 
So you will live your life just finding something to question and to always, well, you know, they really didn't do this, so there must be this in there. This must be, and you're, you're gonna find some power structure that's corrupt by some language, by something, and guess what? You will always go down to the path of destruction. Go down the path of just nowhere, leading to nowhere. Mm-hmm. When they said to Jesus, they said, you know, how can you explain these miracles? This is what they said. Well, he's, he is a servant of Beelzebub, the devil. And look, listen how logical Jesus is. He says, do you, like, I'm going to just put, like, he's like, why, if I worked for the devil, would I cast out a demon? He's like, a house divided can't, like, would work against itself. Like, so that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So logically, it must be I'm from God. What is the logical path in the questions that you're asking? Hmm. And do you... And are you asking questions of, of fundamental things in our faith? So if you're asking questions of whether or not I should handle a snake, and if it doesn't bite me, then I'm like saved, which is some whack, you know, thing, <laughs> backwater Pentecostal, right? Like, yeah. please question that. Don't do that. Yeah. But if you're questioning the authority of Scripture, you're probably in some dangerous water because the authority of Scripture is what defines truth for us. If you're questioning whether you're saved by grace through faith, you, you may be in some deep waters. If you're questioning hell, like eternal states, well, God just loves everyone. Why would he punish anyone? Well, who are you to define what's punishment? What's justice? You have now put yourself in the place of God and that your moral high ground is higher than his. Who are we to do that? Hmm. And you will be formed into the image of the God that you worship 100% of the time. Yeah. And most of the time, the, the God that we worship is ourselves. Mm. Because the God that you worship is determined by the truth in which you follow. So if the truth in which you follow is yourself, guess what? That's the God that you worship. And then that's the image that you will be born into, which is more, we agree with culture, we agree with this. Uh, uh, so that that's, yeah. you know, that's a... a a longer answer. So there's actually two kinds, though, because there's like there's one that may be necessary to a mature faith sure. that uses the authority of Scripture as a way to correct maybe human error. 100%. And uses a way to correct where we've gotten it wrong in the church. You know, like I think one thing um, I don't really have much of a stomach for anymore is watching celebrity pastors fall. Yeah. Why is this the case? Well, I think the reason is because that's an area where we've gotten it wrong. I mean, God bless anybody in the ministry, but we've got to get to a place where um, when we watch a pastor fall, in spite of all the hurt, in spite of all the, um, the, the emotion that that can bring up, we've got to get to a place where scripture is our guide and understand like Leonard Ravenhill said, the best of men are men at best. Yeah. And so there's one area where part of a mature faith uses scripture. Even Jesus did this. You've heard it said, but I say. Yeah. Uses scripture to counter where may, maybe culture has infiltrated the church in the wrong way. Yeah. But then there's there's a, a path that that many of us I think have seen in just a way that that is actually undermining the authority of scripture and yeah. using culture as the authority to um, maybe challenge the way that scripture has its authority over the church. Yeah. And so I think really the, the, the question of authority and submission really in, in this deconstruction conversation is a big one. Yes. 
because um, it determines sort of how we find truth. But I do think one thing I want to point out tonight is that doubts are kind of essential to faith. 100%. Like doubting isn't, like we've all been there. Let's just be honest for a moment. We've all gotten to a place where life is really hard and we go, God, why? This is Psalm 22. Jesus quoted it on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? There's room for doubts. It's essential to having a mature faith. The question I think that's maybe a little bit more important is what do we do with those doubts? Because what the Psalms, I think, would present to us is that we bring them to Jesus. And so um, can you help us, maybe a grid from either personal experience or or pastoral experience, questions, confusion, doubt, frustration, pain, um, how do we begin to navigate those questions in faith? Yeah, I was always taught growing up. I I grew up in a word of faith, Pentecostal, prosperity gospel. We're going for it, right? Like I'm naming and claiming earthing. <laughs> like I was taught, like we, if you want a first class ticket, you say grace, grace at the ticket counter. So I'd be like, grace, 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 grace. And I never got a first class ticket. I'm like, what the heck? Um, where things changed for me is our pastor got sick. He got cancer. And um, I was a you know, junior high, high schooler, and, you know, elementary school, it was a long journey. And we would, he would declare that it's God's will that I'm healed, and we have faith, and I'm going to be healed. And and we prayed as a church, which is a good thing to do. Please contend for healing, believe for healing. But then he died. Hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought we had faith for this. Do we all have no faith in our church? And I'm like a, a freshman in high school, sophomore in high school, wrestling with that question. Like, why did he die then? Right. And I think that soul health will determine kind of the direction of your discourse or the direction of your questions. Like, I think that word of faith stuff is a misinterpretation of maybe some things that are in the Bible, if I can just bring a little bit of correction. Or prosperity gospel, I think we can all agree, isn't the way. But instead of... I had friends who went the opposite direction who questioned the whole thing Mm -hmm. or a misuse of tithe money at the church. Why would I give then? Well, because giving's not, it's for you. (laughs) It's a discipline. Hmm. Like serving is a discipline and wrestling with difficult topics is a discipline that not everyone does. Yeah. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says only the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God, but he wants to reveal. But that doesn't mean he will reveal to everyone. John chapter 2 says that Jesus saw the people, yet he did not entrust himself to them. So there are some things that God doesn't trust you with yet because your character can't hold it up. Hmm. Yeah. And so I think that the questions that you're asking, it's like, okay, I had to bring a correction to me is what is faith? What does that mean? Does it mean that I just pray for things and I get things or is it something deeper? Sure. And I had to be convinced, which that is faith, that it is not about the things that I get. It's about the person that I've already received, which is Christ. Mm -hmm. And that in Christ, I've gotten all that I need. So if I'm broke and I'm poor and I'm persecuted here on earth, guess what? I've received everything, all that I need already. So it's that shift in perspective. We think so earthly about things. Hmm. And, 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 and salvation is not about you getting to heaven after you die. It's about heaven getting into you now. Right. So is heaven 
transforming every element of your life? Mm -hmm. Is it aligning to the kingdom? And there were some things that I saw. I mean, guys, all of your church, I get it. I can go back. We could go, I could go to story for hours about church stuff. My God, you guys want to sit down and talk about it? And a whole podcast. <laughs> Better than the rise and fall of Mars Hill, I guarantee you. <laughs> like I guarantee every person that you I, I've seen it. Sure. Per firsthand. People I've had dinner with that 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 impacted my life. And does it hurt? Yes. My God, does it hurt? Do you want to see it happen? No. But if that determines your faith, I don't know if you actually had faith. Because that's not it. Yeah. It's in Jesus. And do we have trust in leadership? Yes. But once again, the church is a counter community to the world, and we have forgotten that. Hmm. We want to be a community that mirrors the same cultures of the world. Like, we have lost our impact because we've lost our design yeah it's like a, a you know i went to the philippines and i got jordans for 20 bucks fordans yeah like or like the design looked legit yeah <laughs> but it was a cheap imitation you try to yeah. play basketball on them guess what happens they just fall up they disintegrate in front of you where's my shoes go <laughs> that's what's happened with the church huh We've taken like a try to carbon copy things mm. and say like, oh, you know, we're just doing this to reach people. Mm. And then it disintegrates. People's faith is disintegrating. Why? Because for the first time in our Western world, things are starting to fall apart and we don't know, we don't know what to do. Yeah. Every area, politically, spiritually, socially, and we are freaking out. Mm. Because everything that we built our faith on was disintegrated in front of us. Yeah. But please do not hear me wrong. Church is essential to your life. Yes. If you do not have people in your life that are pushing you into formation, into Christ likeness, you are not doing this the way that God designed. Mm -hmm. God did not design you to determine how well you are doing. I think there are seasons in your life that maybe it's okay that you get to a space where you're silent and you're solid. You're like, okay, where am I at? But you better get somebody in that journey really fast. That's why marriage is so hard. Everyone who wants to get married. <laughs> and my wife's the easiest person to be married to. Let me put it that way. She is amazing. But it's still the most sanctifying relationship in your life because it's constantly revealing how selfish we are. It's constantly revealing what's off in you Mm. But it's just a mirror and a picture of what your relationship with God should be. Yeah. As Isaiah steps in the presence of God, he says, I am a man of unclean lips. Mm. He didn't step into the presence of God and say, God, thank you for choosing me. You made the right choice. <laughs> I have been waiting for my opportunity to get on the mic to preach in front of thousands of people so I can get a lot of money and be an influencer on Instagram. <laughs> it's like, no, it's like the opposite. He was afraid of the call. Sure. Like discipleship is the only way. Hmm. It's not a way, it's the way that I follow in the ways of Jesus himself. Yeah. I do the, like, I don't do disciplines because I'm not religious. 
Like, I don't need to read my Bible and pray or go to church is a discipline, giving is a discipline, and it's a means of grace. Let me change the word if discipline like really ruffles your feathers. It's means of grace. And First Peter says this, my friends, may you what? Grow in grace. Yeah. So mercy is God forgiving you. Grace is God empowering you. So there's means of grace. Giving, tithing is a means mm-hmm. of grace. It's not about what, like, well, the pastor misused my tithe at the last church, and I just don't think I can trust anyone. It's not about, not, it's not about him. God's not here to tell you his story. Guess who will be eternally responsible for how they use church finance? Them, not you. But guess who will be eternally responsible for how they did not listen to the discipline that God gave him? You. You are not, you will be held responsible. Did you do everything that say God says, hey, I want you to study your word and read your word, meditate on the word day and night. Yeah. Well, I don't need to, I'm just not religious. I'm not about the disciplines. No, no, it's actually meant to grow you. Mm-hmm. Prayer, solitude, silence, these things that are beautiful, God made them for you to help form who you are. And I think we lack that in our churches today. Who's forming us? Who's shaping us? And this summer, I got caught up, and there was times I was wrestling with it, and I'm like, and I really begin to ask this, do I even know what I believe about this? Hmm. Does God care about racism? Are you kidding me? Of course. Biblical justice is throughout the Bible. The problem is we define what justice is, not God. Sure. Do I think that we should be on the forefront of social issues? Are you kidding me? And if you don't, you don't know church history. The church changed the medical field. The church changed, like, I think we argue against abortion, yet then why aren't we fighting for women's health? For people who cannot afford to have a baby. If we believe in life, then let's put our money where our mouth is at. Let's put our sacrifice. Let's put our service. Let's do what God has called us to do. Because this is it. If you're loving God with your whole being, then your whole being will be engaged. So we have two sides of the coin. One side of the coin wants to be only physically engaged. I only want to do social activism. And that is our way of being formed. But we have no spiritual compass. We have no guide scripturally. We have no, inten- we have no intent to be connected to what God says about these things. We just do the outward things and saying this is what. And then on the other side, we have the ones who I'm just very spiritual. And you know what? God will take care of it. No. He has challenged you and commissioned you as the church and the body of Christ to be so formed into the character of God that his spirit begins to permeate out of you that you cannot help yourself. That you run into conflict, you run into pain, you run into grief, and you know how to deal with it, not because you are good, but because the Holy Spirit is within you. And we have this weird divide in the church. Like, I don't care who you voted for, and you shouldn't either. What I care about is what's forming you. Yeah. What's shaping you? Mm -hmm. What's molding you? And if it's anything other than the life of Christ and scripture, then you are headed down a path of deformation, not confirmation, not not conforming into the image of God. Yeah. If the only thing you read is Twitter, that's bad. And I'm actually not even arguing that you only read Christian books. In fact, I do not. I read other authors that are atheist, agnostic. Now, I don't think that's the only things you should read. 
But my point is this, like, don't be so afraid. It's like, oh, I can't like read this because what if I lose my faith? If you lost your faith over that, then you need to reevaluate your faith. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I'm like setting you up for like, yeah, we're going to read only like these guys. Like, <laughs> but at the same time, you should be reading things that feed your soul. And so these are kind of like the way I split my books. What's informational and what's formational? So yeah. when I go into those books, I know what's forming me and what's just informing me. Mm -hmm. Like what am I, because I, I think sometimes we don't even know enough about the things that we're trying to argue against. Like, well, no, like Donald Trump said it's wrong. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Let me put it this way. He is not the image we're being formed into. That's right. That's right. Jesus is. Okay. Sorry for anyone I offended. It's okay. This is... This is what young adults is for, because there's been about six lines in the sand that we've just dusted yeah. tonight. And if I've so. offended you, like, I'm really a nice person. I love you so much. There <laughs> are definitely people that are listening on the podcast right now going, why is he so angry? I'm not angry. And I always try to tell people this. I'm just really passionate, but I'm actually, like, a really, like, joyful person. <laughs> like, gosh, what is wrong with this guy? Yeah. What got into him? Yeah. Talk about formation. He's... Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of what you said, but I think it kind of comes back to this, this same question about like our soul is meant to be for, I think of second Corinthians five, when it says that we are ambassadors of Christ, yes. that we live in a new kingdom and we're meant to be a representation of that kingdom to our world. Well, what comes from that kingdom? It's, it's a soul that's been transformed. Yes that there's actually a steadiness and choosing kind of what voices I'm going to turn the volume up on and choosing kind of what, what um, you know, what's going to be my authority, how I'm going to live my life. And even in, this is the point I want to make tonight, even in the moments of hurt, even in the moments of pain, because those are the moments for all of us that it's so easy to get thrown off course yeah. and we become reactionary and we actually swing the pendulum too far the other way instead of handling it like Christ. For think of Jesus's example, because we can think shame has no place in the church. Questions have no place in the church. Pain, suffering, hurt, it has no place in the church. And in fact, if I got hurt from that place, then it's a question of this whole thing in the first place. But look at Jesus. Look at his example who took on shame, who took on hurt, who took on pain, and he transformed it. He took on that very thing and he uses it as a, as, as a, as a way in, in, in even his life to take on the, really the, the moment of death and he triumphed over it. He took on, he wasn't, he wasn't even, we think about Thomas, we think about those first disciples, like everybody, like they, they doubted this guy, they killed the man. And yet he takes this, the, all of these questions, all of the hurt, all of the pain, and he's there with us in our midst and he transforms it. And I want to ask you this just by closing. Actually, before we do that, I want to ask the guys to put up Psalm 1 on the screen because this has been on my heart even as we were chatting and kind of preparing. Um, Psalm 1, it gives us a picture of two different kinds of people. And I'm going to read it here in a moment. But there's this picture that Psalm 1 gives to us. And the whole, this is the way the book of Psalms opens up. And Psalms really is a whole book about how we're to bring the entirety, our whole selves, to God, that all of our life experience and the scripture actually becomes the grid for every emotion that we have, bringing it to God. For doubt and questions, they don't, they don't demonstrate that our relationship is faulty or lacking. It demonstrates just how close we are yeah. to God. 
Psalm 1 says this, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither for whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked for they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. There's a picture of two kinds of people. There's people who are um, withered and broken and fragmented by life. People that have felt confused, frustrated, and they're sitting there on the outside. And there's a person who has received the forgiveness of God and is planted, the Bible says, like a tree rooted near streams of water, whose, whose life is yielding fruit to be a blessing to others and who have, God has taken, even in the midst of broken and fragmented, who can become a whole person <laughs> to be a soul kind of worshiping believer. And it's, it's a powerful image. And I think maybe you know, it's easy to get kind of lost in the poetry of the Psalms, but really what this points to, I want to challenge our community tonight, is if you're feeling like maybe there's been some red flags that have been exposed, if you're feeling maybe tonight that your soul isn't as healthy as you want it to be, please, please, please don't stay hurt. Yeah. Don't stay wounded. Don't journey through this desert alone. Don't allow doubt to be the end goal. I'm telling you tonight, even in the place of deconstruction, it only leads to a place of limbo, of kind of just staying, and, and, and it becomes actually destruction by the end. But there is a path, there is a way that God has given us in our lives to bring our whole selves to him. So Pastor Jake, just as a, a way of closing, people that may be here tonight feeling like, um, they're hurt, feeling like they don't maybe know how to navigate some of the things that have happened to them, that their soul is, is wounded. Um, what's the pathway back? Embrace it with the Holy Spirit. Like, that starts with that. Like, you have to engage in the dark parts of your soul with God he, and, and, and not think, like, and then confess it to someone and get accountability in your life that can deal with the revelation that God is revealed in you right mm -hmm. like so if god has revealed that you're hurt by church then you should one repent of it i know we don't like that word like young adults I repent like, well, <laughs> realign with god's word and say god you know what forgive me because i am bitter yeah. i am angry i am hurt don't let your hurt turn into hate it's okay to get hurt that's it it's okay yeah. to get hurt god like it's okay to get hurt but don't let it turn into hate mm -hmm. So repent. Say, God, I, I feel like I've it's turned into unforgiveness. It's turned into hate, and, I, and I'm angry, and I'm frustrated, and I need your help. Go to a place of prayer. Pray. Mm -hmm. Talk to God. And then bring somebody into your journey and say, hey, you know what? Leader, pastor, I've been hateful, hmm. and I still probably have some fragments of hate. I still have some fragments of bitterness and I'm not so there good. yet, but I can, can you challenge me on this? Why is it important that we're in the body of Christ is because we have people that can hold us to our confession. Mm -hmm. That's what baptism is twofold. You're not just, 
you're, you're confessing in the spiritual realm, I'm on team Jesus, but you're also confessing on the natural realm, all of you who are watching me, you get to hold me accountable to this confession. Yeah. So the same should be that our journey with life, like what has been off and what is painful and what has been broken and don't run from those things. Yeah. If it was a father wound, if your dad hurt you, which is pretty like statistically crazy right now, don't run from that and say, embrace it hmm. and say, God, show me what a father is supposed to be. Because it says we have the spirit of adoption, right? Yeah. So we're brought into the family. But then bring somebody into that. Hmm. Someone who can speak life, someone who can speak the word, who can speak grace and truth. And say, hey, let's journey this through. You know, and one of those people, luckily, I have an earthly father, like, you know, and you can attest to this. There'll be times I'll be just furious about things in the office. Ready, and Sean can attest to this too. Like, I'm ready to toss things, man. I get hot headed. And it's from a place of usually hurt or frustration or maybe not feeling heard. Mm. And I'll call my dad and I'll give him the rant. I'll give him my diatribe of, this is what's wrong with the world and the church. <laughs> And my dad always seems to just, like, bring the correction I need. Hmm. And then I'll come back, and Cody's like, man, like, are you, you seem a lot better. You were, like, not okay <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah, like, so, yeah, I talked to my dad. You know, he talked some sense into me. And, um, but, and it's not just him. It's other people. But who in your life can, can say, hey, yeah, uh, you're worrying about things you can't control. Like, half the time, the things that we make, like, our life mission are the things that we can't even control anyways. Mm. You can't control how well or how not well your dad fathered you. You can't. You can't control how you respond. You can't control if you deal with it. Yeah. You cannot control if someone hurt you. You can't control how that church leader handled things. But you can control how you treat the church. You can't control how you treat other believers. And so... Yeah. Um, can we just pray over everyone yeah, in this moment and then we'll go into worship? Can you stand to your feet? I think in this moment, and, and Pastor Cody, maybe after I pray, I think we need to do salvation, but I want to take yeah. a moment of That'd be awesome. contemplative prayer. Um, and really what this moment is, is just asking God to maybe reveal. Reve revelation is the key to all of it. It's, revelation is an illumination. God illuminates things and reveals things. And when God reveals, the standard practice should be, if it's off, to repent mm. and say, God, please forgive me. So if you can just close your eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, I begin to just ask, asking all of us, oh Lord, reveal. Reveal the areas in our soul that are disoriented away from you and oriented around ourselves, whether that's our pain, our pride, our bitterness, our anger, wherever there's a disorientation in our soul, God, I pray you bring it into alignment now. If it's a father wound, I pray you reveal the spirit of adoption and that you are our father. And the embrace of our Father is here. And God, I also pray that you will provide natural spiritual fathers for those who have been searching. 
if it's a church hurt, if it's wounds with church, wounds with leadership, wounds with people, in this in this place and space, I, I, I align myself and realize that my faith and trust is not in people, it's in Jesus. And you are perfect and you are sinless and you handled every situation perfectly with humility and grace and truth. So God, I align myself with that. And I pray for alignment from the spirit to the soul, to the body, to the mind. God, I pray you transform our thinking Romans 12 says this, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice for that is your reasonable service to him. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can discern the good, the perfect, pleasing will of God. So this is how I finish. God, we present our bodies. We present our physical bodies. We present our emotions. We present our feelings. We present our hurts. We present our, our, our good days, our bad days. We present our dreams. We present everything at the feet of Jesus. And we say, it is all up it's all for you. And we give it up as our reasonable service, our reasonable response. And God, I pray any area that has been conformed to a pattern that is apart from scripture or away from scripture in our thinking, God, align it to your word, align it to how you think, align it to the mind of Christ, which is the attitude and the approach of Christ. And God, help us be those who can discern the things that are good and perfect and pleasing. Let us be those who can discern what is of God and what is not of God. We can discern the things that are pleasing to the heart of our Father. God, we thank you for healing, restoration, and realignment. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.